to the 59th episode of the Super Awkward Funcast with your hostess, L. Latham. This is the 59th episode, as I said, and we are going to cover a lot of topics, starting with this first part of a deep dive into misinformation, not the kind you see on Twitter and Facebook and all those other horrible sites where misinformation and disinformation run amok by the plebs. No, we're talking about the misinformation from the ones at the top, the ones making the rules for the rest of us, the oppressors, if you will, are powers that shouldn't be, and the ones that have control over not only our lives, but our bodies, or have exerted control over both in recent years, as we've seen. So you may remember back a couple of years ago when I was warning about exactly what's happening now <laughs> and the control apparatus that is the pandemic and this case-demic that's happened as a result of the coronavirus being released either from a lab on purpose or not on purpose, but probably for a, from a lab most likely. But remember when that was a conspiracy theory? I do. I remember. I also remember all the conspiracy theories that ended up coming true. And we're going to go over them today. But this will be a an episode that will touch on Bill Gates and his latest speech, which is what inspired me to do this two-part episode. So thank you, Bill Gates, for complaining about misinformation when you and your ilk are purveyors of it. So we're going to start with where to start, you know, <laughs> there's so much to start to do. Um, I've, uh, I'm at a loss because this has been a week too. It's like been crazy. Okay, let's start with the latest news. So, like, the news that I didn't get to, unfortunately, on my other program that I'm a part of. Excuse the noises in the background of people opening and closing doors like assholes. I, I'm sure they have reasons for it. And it's not just to annoy me. Because it's not all about me. I get that. But they need to cool it. I think they... Nope, they're not done. Anyway, something's going on in the hallway. The building isn't on fire, so we will continue. And yet. <laughs> There's time. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. That would happen. So first I'm going to go over the first executive order that I found that was alarming. And I made a tweet about uh, a while back. Oh, let me do my tweet first. My tweet first. I 
forgot how to spell first. Okay. <clears throat> so my tweet is from God damn it, fuck off. Okay. Anyway, it wouldn't be super awkward without some background noise just to make it more fun for me. And even if you can't hear it, just know that it's annoying the shit out of me. So there's that. I also have a fan on. If you hear it, I apologize. I put it as far away from the mic as possible. And I can't do anything about the dude opening. I assume it's a dude. Uh, I shouldn't assume their gender. Whoever's opening and closing fucking doors in the hallway at 2.41 p.m. on a Saturday. Whoever the fuck that is, I can't say anything about them. Or the plane, or what have you. I live in a building. It is what it is. People are going to do their fucking shit that they do. Anyway, let's move on, shall we? I don't have time for this. Okay, we're going to move on. So, my tweet is from September 13th, 2022. So this is very old news. I'm just giving it to you now. This is from September, though. Very appropriate. This is the first October episode of the podcast. So, I was supposed to release this yesterday. Voice wasn't having it. So I did a whole bunch of links and shit. So I don't have to do that tomorrow. Because there was no tomorrow. Because <laughs> I had to record today. So I'm recording today. Instead of yesterday. And posting today. So that's fun. So this will be very, very new when you hear it. Because I literally just did it. Alright. And then posted it. No editing. So you get to hear all the slammings of the door. Whatever the fuck's going on. And all the uh, expletives, of course, because I always give you that. Thanks, Apple, for hosting me, my podcast. Anywho, um, I found this part of this um, briefing room document of an executive order quite alarming. And I'll focus on that. I'll get back to that. So let me go to the executive order. So this executive order that I'm looking at is from September 12th, 2022. So I was pretty on it getting a, you know, a tweet out the next day. Okay, it's the executive order on advancing biotechnology and biomanufacturing innovation for a sustainable, safe, and secure American bioeconomy. In short, transhumanist agenda. Here we go. <laughs> By the authority vested in me as president by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, it is hereby ordered as follows. Section 1, Policy. It is the policy of my administration to coordinate a whole-of-government approach to advanced biotechnology and biomanufacturing towards innovative solutions in health, ha, climate change, ha, next one, energy, food security, we don't have much of that right now, agriculture, not so great, Supply chain resilience, not so, so resilient, and national and economic security, also not a thing we have right now. Central to this policy and its outcomes are principles of equity, ethics, safety, and security that enable access to technologies, processes, and products in a manner that benefits all Americans and the global community and that maintains United States technological leadership, and economic competitiveness. Biotechnology harnesses the power of biology to create new services and products which provide opportunities to grow the United States economy and workforce and improve the quality of our lives and the environment. 
The economic activity derived from biotechnology and biomanufacturing is referred to as the bioeconomy, which you can't find in a dictionary, but it's a thing, believe me. The COVID-19 pandemic has demonstrated the vital role of biotechnology and biomanufacturing in developing and producing life-saving diagnostics, therapeutics, and vaccines that protect Americans and the world. There's the vaccines. Okay, also I wanted to addendum, god damn it. Uh, I didn't mean the dictionary, I mean like when I put it into a computer or whatever, it's like that ain't a word basically. So in the computer sense, I'm not, I'm not finding that it's recognized as a word, the bioeconomy word. Anywho, let's go. Next, although the power of these technologies is most vivid at the moment in the context of human health, biotechnology and biomanufacturing can also be used to achieve our climate and energy goals, improve food security and sustainability, secure all supply chains, and grow the economy across all of America. For biotechnology and manufacturing, biomanufacturing to help us achieve our societal goals, the United States needs to invest in foundational scientific capabilities. We need to develop, this is where it gets interesting, <laughs> genetic engineering technologies and techniques to be able to write circuitry of cir for cells and predictively program biology in the same way in which we, re we write software and program computers. Unlock the power of biological data, including though through computing tools and artificial intelligence, and advance the science of scale-up production while reducing the obstacles for commercialization so that innovative technologies and products can reach markets faster. And this is, goes back to my tweet, which says, what if I don't like, don't want to be like a computer though? What if I don't want to be like a computer though? Like, what, what are my options? <laughs> You know? Like, what the fuck? Like, like, how do you read that and not think transhumanism? Okay. Simultaneously, we must take concrete steps to reduce biological risks associated with advances in biotechnology. We need to invest in and promote biosafety and biosecurity. A lot of bio in here. To ensure that biotechnology is developed and deployed in ways that align with the United States principles and values, as if you have any, and international best practices and not in ways that lead to accidental or deliberate harm to people, like when they release the coronavirus on everybody, animals, or the environment. In addition, we must safeguard the United States bioeconomy as foreign adversaries and strategic competitors alike use legal and illegal means to require United States technology and data, including biological data and proprietary or pre-competitive information, which threatens United States economic competitiveness and national security. We also must ensure that abuses of biotechnology and biomanufacturing are ethical and responsible, as if we care about that, are centered on a foundation of equity and public good, again, thing you don't really give a shit about, consistent with Executive Order 13985 of January 20, 2021, advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities through the federal government, and are consistent with respect for human rights. Free Assange. Moving on. 
Resources should be invested justly and, and, and equitably so that biotechnology and biomanufacturing technologies benefit all Americans, especially those in underserved communities, as well as the broader global community. To achieve these objectives, it is the policy of my administration to A, bolster and coordinate federal investment in key research and development, R&D, areas of biotechnology and biomanufacturing in order to further societal goals, or really the goals of the elites, but okay. B, foster a biological data ecosystem that advances biotechnology and biomanufacturing innovation while adhering to principles of security, privacy, and responsible conduct of research. C, improve and expand domestic biomanufacturing production capacity and processes while also increasing piloting and prototyping efforts in biotechnology and biomanufacturing to accelerate the translation of basic research results into practice. D, boost sustainable biomass production and create climate smart incentives for American agricultural producers and forest landowners. E, expand market opportunities for bioenergy and bio-based <laughs> products and services. Take a swig of something. Every time they say bio something, you'll be drunk. F, train and support a diverse, <laughs> skilled workforce. And so diverse is more important than skilled. Good to know. And a next generation of leaders from diverse groups to advanced biotechnology and biomanufacturing. G, clarify and streamline regulations in service of a science and risk-based, predictable, efficient, and transparent system to support the safe use of, bio, of products of biotechnology. H, elevate biological risk management as a cornerstone of the life cycle of biotechnology and biomanufacturing, R&D, including by providing for research and investment in applied biosafety and biosecurity innovation. I, promote standards, establish metrics, and develop systems to grow and ass assess the state of the bioeconomy to better inform policy, decision-making, and investments in the bioeconomy, and to ensure equitable and ethical development of the bioeconomy. So much. J, secure and protect the United States bioeconomy by adopting a forward-looking proactive approach to assessing and anticipating threats, risks, and potential vulnerabilities, including digital intrusion, manipulation, not ours, theirs, and exfiltration efforts by foreign adversaries, there it is, and by partnering with the private sector and other relevant stakeholders to jointly mitigate risks to protect technology leadership and economic competitiveness and K, engage the international community to enhance biotechnology R&D cooperation in a way that is consistent with United States principles and values or, you know, that, that don't exist. And that promotes best practices for safe and secure biotechnology and biomanufacturing research, innovation, and product development and use. The efforts undertaken pursuant to this order to further these policies shall be referred to collectively as the National Biotechnology and Biomanufacturing Initiative. Section 2. Coordination. The, this is it's getting interesting. Um, the Assistant to the President for National Security Affairs in consultation with the Assistant to the President for Economic Policy and the Director of the Office of Science and Technology Policy shall coordinate the Executive Branch 
actions necessary to implement this order through the interagency inter process described in National Security Memorandum 2 of February 4, 2021. They've just been planning this for a long time. Renewing the National Security Council system, NSM 2 process. In implementing this order, heads of agencies as defined in Section 13 of this order shall, as appropriate and consistent with applicable law, consult outside stakeholders such as those in industry, academia, non-governmental organizations, which are actually very governmental as it turns out, but inter interesting there, uh, that communities, labor unions, and state, local, tribal, and territorial governments to advance the policies described in Section 1 of this order. Section 3, harnessing biotechnology and biomanufacturing R&D to further societal goals. A, within 180 days of, this date, of the date of this order, the heads of agencies specified in subsections blah, 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 blah of this section shall submit the following reports on biotechnology and biomanufacturing to further societal goals related to health, climate change and energy, food and agricultural innovation, resilient supply chains, and cross-cutting scientific advances. This, the report shall be submitted to the President through the APNSA in coordination with the Director of the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, the APEP, the Assistant to the D President for Domestic Policy, and the Director of OSTP. I, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, who's doing such a great job lately, in consultation with the heads of appropriate agencies as determined by the Secretary, shall submit a report assessing how to use biotechnology and biomanufacturing to achieve medical breakthroughs, reduce the overall burden of disease, and improve health outcomes. Two, the Secretary of Energy, in consultation with the heads of appropriate agencies, as determined by the Secretary, shall submit a report assessing how to use biotechnology, biomanufacturing, bioenergy, and bio-based products to address the causes and adapt to and mitigate the impacts of climate change, including by sequestering carbon and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Three, the Secretary of Agriculture, in consultation with the heads of appropriate agencies as defi defined determined by the Secretary shall submit a report assessing how to use biotechnology and biomanufacturing for food and agriculture innovation, including by improving sustainability and land conservation, increasing food quality and nutrition, increasing and protecting agricultural yields, protecting against plant and animal pests and diseases, the GMOs, right, and cultivating alternative food sources. Four, the Secretary of Commerce, in consultation with the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary okay, of HHS, and the heads of other appropriate agencies, as determined by the Secretary of Commerce, shall submit a report assessing how to use biotechnology and biomanufacturing to strengthen the resistance, the resilience, sorry, of United States supply chains. Don't know why that has to do with the Secretary of Defense, but okay. Five, the director of the National Science Foundation, NSF, in consultation with the heads of appropriate agencies as determined by the director, shall submit a report identifying high-priority, fundamental, and use-inspired basic research goals to advance biotechnology and biomanufacturing and to address the societal goals identified in this section. B, each report specified in subsection A of this section shall identify high-priority basic research and technology development needs to 
achieve the overall objectives described in subsection A of this section, as well as opportunities for public-private collaboration, which is kind of what WEF does. But all right. Each of these reports shall also include recommendations for actions to enhance biosafety and biosecurity to reduce risk throughout the biotechnology R&D and biomanufacturing life cycles. I'm so done. <laughs> Let's skip. Okay, section four, data for the bioeconomy. In order to facilitate development of the United States bioeconomy, my administration shall establish a data for the bioeconomy initiative, data initiative that will ensure that high quality, wide-ranging, easily accessible and secure biological data sets can drive breakthroughs for the United States bioeconomy. To assist in the development of the data initiative, the director of OSTP, in coordination with the director of OMB and the heads of appropriate agencies as determined by the director of OSTP, and in consultation with external stakeholders, shall issue a report within 240 days of the date of this order that I, one, identifies the data types and sources to include genomic and multi-omic information that are most critical to drive advances in health, climate, energy, food, agriculture, and biomanufacturing, as well as other bioeconomy-related R&D, along with any data gaps. Two, sets forth a plan to fill any data gaps that, and make new and existing public data findable accessible, interoperable, and reusable in ways that are equitable, standardized, secure, and transparent, and that are integrated with platforms that enable the use of advanced computing tools. Three, identifies based on the data types and sources described in subsection AI, or A1 of this section, sorry, security, privacy, and other risks such as malicious misuses, manipulation, exfiltration, and deletion and provides a data protection plan to mitigate these risks, and four, outlines the federal resources, legal authorities, and actions needed to support the data initiative and achieve the goals outlined in this subsection with a timeline for action. B, the Secretary of Homeland Security, in coordination with the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of Agriculture, the Secretary of Commerce, acting through the Director of the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, the Secretary of HHS, the Secretary of Energy, and the Director of OMB shall identify and recommend relevant cybersecurity best practices for biological data stored on federal government information systems consistent with applicable law and Executive Order 14028 of May 12, 2021, improving the nation's cybersecurity. C, the Secretary of Commerce acting through the Director of NIST and in coordination with the Secretary of HHS shall consider bio-related software, including software of laboratory equipment, instrumentation, and data management in establishing baseline security standards for the development of software sold to the United States government consistent with Section 4 of Executive Order 1402A. 2A. Oh my gosh, there's so much more. <laughs> but those are like the most odd ones, parts of it. There's a lot more there. Foreign adversaries, you know, more pandering to minorities or what have you. Um, a lot of shit in there. So I'll put it in the links and y'all check it out. So we're moving on from there. Back to the briefing room. So then you might not have heard about this, but I heard it from Corbett Report, which is good. I can't believe we spent like 20-some, almost 20 minutes of that. Okay. 
it is what it is. Bioeconomy, not a thing, gonna be a thing. Just gotta get used to it, I guess. New normal, right? So moving on. Anyway, so basically, Corbett did a report, not a report, he did a New World Next Week, uh, James Corbett with James Blotto, and they talked about the reauthorization of this um, 9-11 era notice on the uh, continuation, oh sorry, notice, uh, no that's not right, national emergency with respect to persons who commit, threaten, or commit, threaten to commit, or support terrorism. So this is way back in the day. This is from September 23rd, 2001. And very, not very fitting actually. They renewed it on September 19th, 2022. But they renewed it every year, just like they renew the fucking same emergency when it comes to COVID all the time. And this other thing that they renew that I can't remember the name of. But they renew this one all the time. So here's the renewal of that. So I'll go through that. And it's a lot shorter, thankfully, than the bioeconomy one. That's the longest thing I'm probably gonna read. So just know that. Okay, so on September 23rd, 2001, by executive order 13224, the president declared a national emergency pursuant to the International Emergency Economic Powers Act to deal with the unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security, foreign policy, and economy of the United States constituted by the grave acts of terrorism and threats of terrorism committed by foreign terrorists, I mean the U.S. government, I mean foreign terrorists, including the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001 in New York and Pennsylvania and against the Pentagon, we remember that one, and the continuing and immediate threat of further attacks against the United States nationals or the United States. On September 9, 2019, the president signed Executive Order 13886 to strengthen and consolidate sanctions to combat the continuing threat posed by international terrorism and to take additional steps to deal with the national emergency declared in Executive Order 13224 as amended. The actions of persons who commit, threaten to commit, or support terrorism that aren't part of the U.S. government, oops, continue to pose an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security, foreign policy, and economy of the United States. For this reason, the national security, the national emergency declared in Executive Order 13224 of September 23, 2001, as amended, and the measures adopted to deal with that emergency must continue in effect beyond September 23, 2022. Therefore, in accordance with, the, with Section 202D of the National Emergencies Act, I am continuing for one year the national emergency with respect to persons who commit, threaten to commit, or support terrorism declared in Executive Order 13224 as amended. This notice shall be published in the Federal Register, Register and transmitted to the Congress. So yeah, there's that. That happened. So moving on. In other news, Nazis in Ukraine have more money. Not because we gave it to them, but because we give the power to give our money to anyone that they want through taxes to the government. Okay. Here's a release about that from defense.gov. 
Again, links in the show notes. Enjoy. I work really hard on this. Uh, September 28th, 2022. This is fairly recent. 1.1 billion in additional security assistance for Ukraine. Today, fuck you, Florida, right? Today, the Department of Defense announced approximately $1.1 billion in additional security assistance for Ukraine under the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, USAI. This USAI package underscores the U.S. commitment to continuing to support Ukraine over the long term. Mm -hmm. Because we want a very long war. Everybody involved wants a very long war. I wonder why. Oh well. It represents a multi-year investment in critical capabilities to build the enduring strength of the Ukraine's armed forces, which are some, some of them are Nazis, but that's okay. We all have our problems, our issues, you know. As it continues to defend Ukraine's sovereignty and territory in the face of Russian aggression. Unlike presidential withdrawal, dang it. Unlike Presidential Drawdown Authority, PDA, which DOD has continued to leverage to deliver deliver equipment to Ukraine from DOD stocks at a historic pace, USAI is an authority under which the United States procures capabilities from industry. Cha-ching! This announcement represents the beginning of a contracting process to provide additional priority capabilities to Ukraine in the mid and long term. Capabilities include, this is what we're paying for, without our permission, but we gave them permission when we pay taxes, I guess, so here we go. 18 high mobility artillery rocket systems, HIMARS, and associated ammunition. 150 armored high-mobility multi-purpose wheeled vehicles, 150 tactical vehicles to tow weapons, 40 trucks and 80 trailers to transport heavy equipment, two radars for unmanned aerial systems, 20 multi-mission radars, counter unmanned aerial systems, Tactical secure communication systems, surveillance systems, and optics, explosive ordnance disposal equipment, body armor, and other field equipment, funding for training, maintenance, and sustainment. Hmm. In total, the United States has now committed approximately $16.9 billion in security assistance to Ukraine since January 2021, which was before the war. <laughs> That's okay. Let's ignore that fact. Um, since 2014, the United States has committed approximately $19 billion in security assistance to Ukraine, more than $16.2 billion since the beginning of Russia's unprovoked and brutal invasion on February 24th. That's of this year. So they've been funding the Nazis in Ukraine for quite some time. And I have to say that because there were Nazis in the army. And like, or whatever, guard thing. Like, the Azov. Azov exists. And the other one too. So don't tell me they're not Nazis in Ukraine. There are Nazis in Ukraine. They were writing about it for many years. I guess I should do an episode on that next. But anyway, 
I think everybody's talked about it, so I don't know if I want to. But anyway, Nazis, Ukraine, money, good for y'all. Through, but U Nazis in the U.S., no, fuck them, punch them, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, through both PDA and USAI, DOD continues to work with Ukraine to meet both its immediate and, long and longer-term security assistance needs. Together with our allies and partners, our unified efforts will help Ukraine continue to be successful today while building the enduring strength of Ukraine's forces to ensure the continued freedom and independence of Ukrainian people. And they're never going to use that against the people of where they live. They're never going to use it against each other and, and target certain people with these um, military weapons that we funded. That's never going to happen. So anyway... Bill Gates. <laughs> Let's move on to Bill Gates. And then we'll talk about DTRA for a second because that's going back to DOD. But Bill Gates had a conference. He does this thing called Goalkeepers. Let me see if I can find some information on that. Goalkeepers. What is it supposed to even be? It's hard to find on YouTube. You have to put in Goalkeepers Bill Gates. Alright, here's from his website itself. I won't put this in the link. You can find it yourself. But it says here, Progress is possible, but not inevitable. Better world by 2030 is well within our reach if we work together. That's what it says on here. Goals for all. They have a report. They have data. It says here, After a two-year hiatus, the Goalkeepers event beat, returns to the stage for the fourth time on September 20th and 21st in New York City. This year marks a critical halfway mark for the 17 global goals to continue their purpose of making the world a better place for all. Not just the ones at the top, right? It's for everybody. The main Goalkeepers event will stream live, blah blah blah. This was all on September 21st. So. Then they have the page, and you can watch the thing, but I watched it on YouTube. Oh, Malala was there! Isn't that lovely? I miss Malala. What a fun little propagandist. Lily Singh! Good times. How many other people do I know other than Bill Gates and Melinda Gates? Let's keep them away from each other. Shit. Cal Penn? We're getting to him. Don't worry. Fucking moron. Uh, there's a couple of DJs in here. Some dude named George the Poet. These are the performers. And speakers. Alright, that's all I know, thankfully. No one else is ringing a bell. Fauci wasn't available. Just kidding. Anyway, this is when Bill Gates shows up and he does his little presentation. And he talks about the things that he's invested in, like agricultural shit. So, it's kind of interesting. So let's check it out. It's grown in East Africa. Let me try that. Go back. Hold on. About 12,000. Hold on, sir. Let's try this again. Hi. Thank you, indeed. Well, I brought some uh, corn with me. Some people call it maize. Uh, corn. That's about a square yard of maize. And it's uh, like the maize uh, that's grown in East Africa where, of course, almost all the farmers have very small plots of land. They work with less than a hectare, which is about two acres, so just mm, about 12,000 times as much as what's sitting right there. 
As Ndidi said, the Green Revolution was a miracle. It raised productivity of three key cereal crops, but primarily for Asia. It didn't do a good job on the ecosystems in Africa or the wide variety of crops used there. And so the low productivity, uh, less than a quarter of uh, productivity in rich countries is not enough uh, to feed Africa. So amazingly, despite low land costs, low labor costs, Sub-Saharan Africa still imports billions of dollars of crops every year from all over the world. And that's the reason why the war in Ukraine is now causing a hunger crisis Oops. over 6,000 miles away in the heart of Africa. When we lose those food shipments, maybe we should no stop the war. No? Okay. To grow more food. And it's more than uh, just a market shock. Uh, we have malnutrition. In fact, uh, we have the he doesn't. challenges of both population growth and climate change that's pushing down the productivity that we have on those farms today. Uh, and so this is, is quite alarming. Uh, just let's look at a, a maize farmer. Uh, maize. So he's got like something uh, in the background on the screen. Of all the calories consumed in sub-Saharan Africa. So very, very key cereal crop. But as temperature comes in, uh, it is sensitive to that temperature. Uh, for every degree uh. above 30 degrees Celsius, you have the uh, growing process breaking down more and more. Uh, and so each of those degrees per day uh, cuts your yield by 1%. In other words, even if it was just five days at 35 degrees centigrade, uh, you'd have a 25% uh, productivity reduction. And that's what's projected just by the end of the decade. Uh, and if you go out to 2040, 2050, 2060, it gets substantially worse because even in the best case, you know, climate's uh, temperature increases uh -huh. are continuing. The map here's uh, key, it shows you the projected heat stress. And what you can see is that, particularly that central band, uh, the Sahel and south of the Sahel up here, is terrible. And it's not just maize, uh, livestock uh, and all the other crops are very temperature sensitive as well. And so if we just let this continue, uh, we'll be moving away uh, from that green revolution to sort of a brown regression, where you have lots of crops dying uh, because of drought and heat effects. And even in the, the next decade, uh, that will increase hunger. And if you let it go on, uh, you'd have huge amounts of starvation. Uh, the projection uh, just for 2030 uh, is 36 more minutes guys more hungry people uh, and so that's an incredible tragedy most of that uh, is going to be women and children when you have food shortages they're the ones that suffer most and we Darn see it. that in the relative rates of, of malnutrition and so as indeed he said you know what can we do uh, you know this is an unacceptable uh, situation what is the force we can use to take that 32 million uh, not only get rid of it, but push uh, the graph of uh, the number of people without enough food uh, down uh, dramatically. 
And the answer is uh, innovation. Um, and we have some good examples uh, from the past where we did uh, drive innovation. Uh, one example is that 14 years ago, uh, the Gates Foundation funded a group of researchers in Africa of course, uh, read that's their favorite place. Drought tolerant varieties of maize, and this was a huge success. Uh, they called uh, this variety of maize they created. I uh, can see the picture here. That's an ear of this drought uh, tago maize. And when they planted this uh, in a field next uh, to the traditional variety, they saw that drought tago could produce 66 percent more grain per acre. You know, that is very dramatic. Um, if we just say a small farmer uh, in Kenya, uh, that's enough to feed their family uh, for the whole year and have excess maize uh, to sell for about $880, which is more than five months of average income. So these new If you're bored as fuck, uh, just fast forward four minutes. Dramatic productivity and uh, improvements, more than doubling uh, to get up to almost rich countries' levels of, of, of productivity. Uh, so we There's really four and a half hours this. of this shit. Uh, we need to do it for all the ecosystems and all the key crops uh, because this is the trend. The one thing this that is an we hour push in. against that population and climate change and actually bring down uh, the number of, of hungry people. So let's go back, uh, look at our hunger prediction. Uh, He's smiling. He you know, loves to smile about up, tragedy. Uh, and then uh, innovation uh, is the thing that uh, can actually push uh, that down and, and bring uh, uh, substantial reductions uh, in those hunger level. Now, the seeds are absolutely critical. Without that, you don't get there. But you know that's only one input uh, to the system. Uh, uh, we need uh, to keep farmers. <laughs> Take a, a uh, swig of something credit. every uh, get them. Uh, fertilizer uh, and you know these these things in combination are what drive that productivity. Climate change, of course, was in no way caused uh, by these countries, and particularly uh, not by these farmers. Uh, the goal of mitigation uh, no, is that was the people in charge for really the middle-income and rich countries. Uh, but uh, uh, we could say they owe it. Uh, to these countries uh, to drive this innovation. Uh, if you raise these productivities, uh, that's far, far better uh, than just sending food aid. In fact, you know, let's look at the relative investments we make in those let's. two categories. Uh, there's over six and a half billion, it's a big number, big red column, uh, spent on food aid. Uh, Why would anyone pay to listen to this person? Situation, uh, the fact that that uh, system is there uh, is very helpful. But if you say, what are we doing to avoid that? Uh, you know, to systemically get uh, enough food uh, to be made right where it's needed. Uh, that investment is actually quite small. Uh, it's not even at its peak. It was higher in the past. Uh, it's 890 million which is only 14 percent uh, and we see that given the science a lot of the science comes to us from medical science fortunately plant genes and uh, human genes are the same and so the opportunity for 
very dramatic improvements uh, with the science budget uh, getting up to $2 billion uh, is that we can do even better uh, than what happened with the Green Revolution uh, last time. And so we're going to talk about uh, innovation. We've got three really great experts uh, to talk to about a variety of things we need to do uh, in food systems. And I hope uh, hearing these ideas, uh, you'll have a sense of optimism about what we can do for the food system. Yes, climate change is uh, the greatest problem, the biggest threat to our food supply since the invention of agriculture. Uh, but we really do have the ability to adapt. We can develop the tools and the systems to make sure that people have enough to eat, even despite the negative effects of climate change. Thank you. Okay, I think he's talking about genetic engineering there. Genetic engineering foods, you know, like GMOs and shit. So, I think that's where he's getting in that discussion. But anyway, we're going to move on to the meat of the matter, which is the reason that I made this episode in the next one, which will be the discussion with Cal Penn and some other people. The only one I knew was Cal Penn, so I'd point him out. Because he, he fucking went from acting to working in politics with fucking Obama and is not, you know, ashamed of it. So he's clearly a stupid person. So... Let's listen to him uh, talk shit about us uh, in the truth community. And then we'll, you know, debunk everything that they say. I love doing that. So we're going to go to 145.57 if you're playing along at home. I might not get there. 145.57. Gosh darn. Well, we'll go with 18, I guess. With this dude. Okay. This is a longer clip. This is going to be until 2.09.32. But I'm probably going to stop and then play some shit to debunk them as they talk. So, enjoy. What this announcement is all about, what our shared objective is about, is to build a world where everyone can realize their full potential. It's just some dude. No matter Don't worry who they it. are <laughs> or where they live. Thank you. Thank you, I guess. Sure. They're putting the chairs down. No one's wearing a mask. That's over now. All right, today's theme is the future of progress. Well, now we're going to talk about something that threatens to stand in the way of progress. We've seen over the past two years how if people don't trust new solutions to problems or the messengers who share them, they won't adopt them. So this next discussion will focus on this information and how to build an environment My favorite. to increase the chances that new tools and solutions can get adopted. Goalkeepers to host Rebuilding Trust for New Solutions, the fight against misinformation. Please welcome actor, author, and academic, Carl Penn. Hey. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. He peaked in Harold and Kumar. Let's move on. How you doing? What a nice space, nice, bright, beautiful day. Maybe not for you all have a little too much sun in your eyes. Sorry, all right. It looked nice from where I'm standing. Thank you for having me. 
Now look, this panel is about misinformation, okay? And that is something, very selfishly, I think almost every actor or politician or athlete or musician knows something about. There are gossip blogs masquerading as journalists. There are conspiracy theorists with YouTube followings. There's like, there's <gasps> a lot to choose from if you're in the market for something that's a little bit nuts. I remember when uh, I worked as an aide to President Obama, I remember some folks were completely convinced that I had taken a leave of absence from acting and was placed into the White House to orchestrate a massive propaganda machine through which artists would sell people on the Affordable Care Act, or the ACA. Obviously, we all know that if that was true, the rollout of the ACA would have gone smoothly, which it did not. So it's not my fault. When you add misinformation <laughs> into a mix of passion Funny. and emotion and history and mistrust, our world's most audacious accomplishments can easily be extinguished. According to recent polling, 70% of people believe the spread of false information to be a major threat. That's I guess that worked, the propaganda. Cyber That's higher than infectious diseases. That's higher than threats to the economy. So. This perception is the biggest threat behind climate change. It's clear that over the past two years, we've seen more confusing and conflicting information than ever, despite the new innovative solutions that the world has benefited from. We the have. vaccines that saved millions of lives and have allowed us to return to normal, even those things are viewed with skepticism. It's so normal now. Anyway. Um, he did say, you know, we've been affected by all this misinformation. Let's look at some stuff from early on in this COVID pandemic, pandemic uh, situation that we're in now. This is a, a this is a scene from a uh, conference that happened, one of the coronavirus conferences from two years ago. Let's see what the date is, March sixteenth, two thousand and twenty. Really early on where Trump issued the 15 days to slow the spread plan alongside Fauci and Deborah Burks. So let's hear that. Let's hear, you know, how that worked out in terms of like that length of time versus how long this has been going on. Let's, let's figure that out. You can do the math. Here we go. to see that you're practicing social distancing. That looks very nice. That's very good. Uh, I want to thank everybody for being here today. This morning, I spoke with the leaders of the G7, G7 nations, and they uh, really had a good meeting. I think it was a very, very productive meeting. I also spoke with our nation's governors. And this afternoon, we're announcing new guidelines for every American to follow over the next 15 days as we combat the virus each and every one of us has a critical role to play okay so that's like the beginning of it and then there's another more extended one with the vice president at the time which was president vice president sorry um has mike pence my gosh there's nothing more important uh, for the uh, American people to do to slow the spread than to heed your state and local guidance in areas impacted by the coronavirus and for everyone else 
to put into practice the 15 days to slow the spread. Dr. Fauci will reflect on the importance of mitigation and the impact that we believe that it is having around the country. Uh, but uh, it, it is the people ask me from time to time, what can I do? And, and I say from my heart to every American, this is what you can do. Not just to protect your own health and that of your family, uh, but uh, no American wants to inadvertently spread the coronavirus, particularly to those that may be vulnerable to serious health consequences. Remember that the, the risk of serious illness to the average American remains low. I mean, the vast majority of people that contract the coronavirus will have mild symptoms to flu-like symptoms uh, and, uh, and, and will recover. But for seniors with serious underlying health conditions or with people with immunodeficiencies, everyone needs to practice the principles of 15 days to slow the spread. So did we not do it right? What happened? I don't know what happened, guys. I really don't know what happened. Speaking of Dr. Fauci, so Dr. Fauci around this time, March 2020, um, said some things that ended up being stuff that he had to come back and be like, no, I didn't mean it. It was because of this and that and the other. You know, the whole thing. Um, where he said the masks were basically useless, which as it turns out, kind of is true. So he was telling the truth in the very beginning and lied later for profit, I guess. And let's not also forget that he had a major role in the release of this virus being connected to funding of the biosafety lab, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where it most likely was released accidentally or otherwise. So let's not forget that little nugget. And also the DOD's involvement in the funding of said lab, of EcoHealth Alliance, which was funding the lab. <sighs> Peter Daszak, uh, another one. We talked all about that on EcoHealth, Ego's Wealth and the Long Con. I think that's the name of it. Ego's, EcoHealth, Eco Wealth, whatever it was. But anyway, I'll link it below in the show notes so you can go refresh your memory about that whole thing because there's a whole lot of funding with that lab and other things and from the DTRA. Very questionable shit. So more questionable shit. Here's the interview from March 2020 and I know it's that because that's what in the title because CBS went ahead because it was 60 minutes and they came back and they were like, oh shit, we gotta give them context. So then they put this little description in here. In March, <laughs> Fauci told 60 Minutes that masks should be should largely be reserved for healthcare providers. In April, the recommendations were broadened to include simple masks for the general public. What they don't tell you there is what else he says in here, which you will hear for yourself that I'm not lying, that he says they're kind of useless <laughs> and they don't work. So even if he meant for healthcare workers, why would he say, oh, schmutz and everything on the... But you'll, you'll hear what I'm saying. So just listen. You have to endure Fauci a moment. Just, just deal with it. Here we go. There's a lot of confusion among people and misinformation surrounding face masks. Can you discuss that? The masks are important are for they? someone who's infected to prevent them from infecting someone else. Now, when you see people and look at the films in China and South Korea, whatever, everybody's wearing a mask. Right now in the United States, right now, people should not be walking around with right masks. Right now, guys. 
you're sure? Not time yet. Because people are listening really no. closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying uh, uh, inside uh, uh, there? Of course, of course. But when you think masks, you should think of healthcare providers needing them and people who are ill. The people who, when you look at the films of foreign countries and you see 85% of the people wearing masks, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not against it. If you want to do it, that's fine. But it can lead to a shortage of masks. Exactly. That's the point. It could lead to a shortage of masks for the people who really need it. So that's where he ends up at the end saying exactly what the the guy I don't know his name the dude interviewing him wants him to say so he says the thing at the end oh the shortage of masks and then he's like yes that so that's interesting to me I'm just saying I I caramba I didn't get the rest of the things that I needed <laughs> so I have to go to my fair Alright, so that's that, and then, you know, leading me to my next thing, which is a tweet that I made back in the day, where I said, in quotes, Experts say masks are safe and effective in preventing the spread of COVID-19. And then I say, they also said it would be 15 days to slow the spread before our year-round, year-round, shit, year-long lockdown, that's hard to say. And the COVID-19 vaccines are safe and effective before looking into myocarditis issues with them. And then I said, they failed to mention the conflicts of interest with the big pharma companies that manufacture the vaccines. They neglected to mention that the clinical trial is ongoing with all COVID-19 vaccines. This might still be true at this point. I know there's one that's 2023. I have to look at that information. I can probably bring that up in the next episode. They didn't say the vaccines are available under emergency use. But by all means, believe everything the experts say. And this is from the 21st of June 2021 that I said that. And then that leads me to this cloth mask study from from um, NIH. This is the only study that I found that was like really telling about the cloth masks not working very well. And it's from 2015, I believe. Let me see the information. Yeah, 2015 from BMJ, published online April 22nd, 2015. Obviously peer reviewed as well. And so here's what it says. It's a cluster randomized trial of cloth masks compared with medical masks in healthcare workers. The aim of this study was to compare the efficacy of cloth masks to medical masks in hospital healthcare workers. The null hypothesis is that there is no difference between medical masks and cloth masks. Hmm. 
Hospital wards were randomized to medical masks, cloth masks, or a control group. Participants used the mask on every shift for four consecutive weeks. Then it says the rates of all infection come, come, outcomes were highest in the cloth mask arm. This is the main point. With the rate of ILI, all infection outcome. Wait, what is that? What's ILI? ILI is influenza-like inf illness, because this was pre-corona, right? Statistically significantly higher in the cloth mask arm, relative risk 13, 95% CI. CI being clinical respiratory. No, that's not right. I don't know what CI is then. <laughs> Anywho, compared with the medical mask arm, cloth masks also had significantly higher rates of ILI compared with the control arm. An analysis by mask use showed ILI and laboratory confirmed virus were significantly higher in the cloth mask group compared with the medical mask group. Penetration of cloth masks by particles was almost 97% and medical masks 44%. So that tells you that not only are cloth masks pretty useless, but medical masks aren't 100% effective either. So none of the masks were going to work 100%, and we've seen that also recently. So anyway, the conclusions were, the study is the first RCT of cloth masks, and the results caution against the use of cloth masks. This is an important finding to inform occupational health and safety. Re moisture retention, reuse of cloth masks, and pore filtration may result in increased risk of infection. Further research is needed to inform the widespread use of cloth masks globally. However, as a precautionary measure, cloth masks should not be recommended for HCWs or healthcare workers, particularly in high-risk situations, and guidelines need to be updated. So there you go. So that was the study, and it came to that conclusion that cloth masks do not work, which is now what they say. But they didn't say that early on. They said do the masks, the masks work. Moving on, do, do, do. do I want to do, hmm, maybe I'll do that last. Let's see here. Then we'll have the information here from recently, from what's happening now with the CDC and what they're doing. But let's get to this real quick first. Take, for example, the words of a 5G conspiracy theorist. They always bring up the 5G thing. Who said, here's the quote, 5G corona is the hashtag truth. There is no damn virus. We all got sick around the same time, and that's when they rolled out 5G. Okay. Or the words a very enthusiastic Twitter user posted in December of 2020 when scientists released the first vaccines for COVID-19. Here's the quote from that. Look, Jacob, what you don't understand is that Pence and Biden didn't actually get the vaccine. Instead, they were injected, you all know where this is going, with Bill Gates' microchip designed to force you to only buy Microsoft products. Do your research, sheeple. Pretty sure no, that's a lie. To be clear, many Pretty sure that's satire. That's a joke. Right? For a lot of communities, especially communities of color, governments and the private sector, institutions and individuals 
have historically experimented on us and degraded and disrupted our parents or grand. Pretty sure they did, you know, there's a whole Tuskegee experiment which went on for 40 years. That happened, you know, CIA did the MKUltra, you know, the whole Nazi experiments on people, Joe Mengele. It's happened. Grandparents or great-grandparents generations. The effects and consequences of this are still things that we grapple with today. But let's face it, it doesn't make a big difference in Bill Gates' life if people think he's microchipping you when he knows he's not. He's too busy jumping on the trampoline in his living room anyway. Ha ha. He's so hilarious, right? No. He has stuff going on. He's a... He's... He's funding everything. Like, it's not out of the ordinary to bring up Bill Gates when he's funding all the vaccines for the decade of vaccines. It's not out of the ordinary to bring that up. It's not conspiracy theory. It's conspiracy fact that he's actually involved in this. So fuck off, Cal. Pen. Instead, conspiracy theories hurt everybody else. This that reminds me, there's a video that I should look at. Since he said that, there's a video that's kind of coming to that conclusion from TRT. TRT? I don't know, something world. Anyway. It's about vaccines, but well, you can go ahead and watch it. Hold on a second. Uh, let me see what it's called so I can find it easier. Do 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 do. I just looked up COVID-19 conspiracy theories and found it. Conspiracy theories making people hesitant. Conspiracy... Oh, hold on. We'll do it live. Okay. Conspiracy theories... Making... People... Hesitant. That should be enough. I would imagine. Yep, TRT World. Whoa. They know what's up. This some is from to wear masks, a year ago. Not. Some stick to social distancing, others crowd around. Different responses from these shoppers to life in COVID-19 times. Now there's hope for a return to normality with the success of potential vaccines, but will people take them? Research shows one in seven people... It says it was a year ago, but it was not technically a year ago. It was November 26, 2020. And only 25,662 views. Great job, TRT World. People in the UK are hesitant about the vaccines, rising to one in three in Turkey. And conspiracy yes. theories about the origin of the virus are affecting these choices. Around 4,000 participants in Turkey and... 18% of them um, believed in the artificial origin. Um, in, in the UK, it was lower, so around 12% of people in the UK among uh, around 1,000 participants. If a person believes in conspiracies, then they may be more likely to also believe in um, the non-scientific mis misinformation online about vaccine safety, the research was carried out before the latest news about the vaccines working. 
So have views changed oh, they were? in the country? That's news Does to me. Made in China or it's just happened accidentally? I think that's the question. Nobody knows exactly what is the answer about. I don't trust. Because uh, usually vaccines take 10 to 15 years to be made. And now True. it's just been like uh, nine months or ten months, and there hasn't been much. Six research. months, actually, in the I've had vaccines studies, the clinical trials. All my life. Why should you all worry now? I've had the virus. It was awful, but I wouldn't take it. I'd rather have the virus than take that because I don't know what's in it. I'd rather take a vaccine than uh, be in this situation. I don't know if this will be something that in ten years' time they're going to tell me like I'm barren. Because, you know, I'm, and I'm owed compensation by the government because I took a 2020 vaccine. Scientists say Based. they've been able to make the vaccine safely at speed by working around the clock with dedicated funding. Thousands of volunteers funding, and sites huh? from whom? And the fact the virus is global. We've been able to get through the phase three trials um, quickly because, not because we've been rushing, Sure. But because of the large numbers of cases that are circulating in the community when we've been doing the studies. To achieve herd immunity for a disease like COVID-19, an estimated 50 to 75% of the population need to be vaccinated. Oops. Judging by our admittedly small sample, a lot of people still need to be persuaded to take the jab. Nicola Hill, TRT World, London. But they had ways of getting that compliance, right? That happened eventually. But we have gotten over 50%, over 60%, allegedly. Who knows? You know, participation from these people across the globe. I'm pretty sure. Definitely in the US, it's been like 60-something percent, if that. If not that, like, if not more than that. And they want it to be 70-something percent. Did they say 70%? I don't know, there's a certain percentage that Bill Gates wants and everybody wants that they didn't get and they're sad about it. So I think it's 60 something percent now, global, and they wanted 70 percent for whatever reason. But this bitch said 50 to 75 percent, we'd be cool. Looks like we're not cool. What happened there? Anyway, back to Cal Penn who knows everything about everything. This entire event is about reaching the sustainable development goals. And the of course, the UN sustainable goals. But we're not going to improve health if people believe their medicine has a GPS tracker in it. And well, people need to stop putting in things and things. More food if everyone thinks that the corn that Bill wheeled in here is a secret Illuminati plot to take over the ethanol market. Um, it's not, but it is GMO, and that's something to be concerned about. The point is, it doesn't matter uh, how good your idea is if no one trusts you. So the question remains. Um, yeah, nobody trusts Bill Gates. There's a reason. And if if he's not trusted, why did, should we trust why should we believe anything he says? Why should he have a platform to this level where he can say what's what what is this and what is that on every fucking topic when he didn't even fucking go to college. I did more college than he anyway, bye bye. <laughs> what can we actually do about it? And that's what I want to discuss with our panel. We have today Govind Yetiraj, the founder of the data journalism and fact-checking platform, India Spend. Ooh, yay. I love fact-checking. 
These are the best people. We also have Renee Duresta. Renee is the technical research manager at the Stanford Internet Observatory, where she researches and writes about online influence operations from Yay. pseudoscience to terrorism I love her. to state-sponsored information awesome. warfare. And of course, state-sponsored by the U.S. or just another state. And then the dude himself, Bill Gates. Thanks, Bill. So I'm gonna. My first question, I think, has to be. Um, a bill here and of I, course it is because of the intro i'm dying to know why did you put microchips in our vaccines and what was the coolest thing you saw when you tracked all of this uh okay so on that note <laughs> i feel like it's a good time to mention the quantum dot tattoo funding that he did for um this crazy shit yeah sure i'm gonna do it now fuck it um I'll have it in my phone so I can look at it later. So we're going to wrap up pretty soon, don't worry. And then the rest will be vaccine, vaccine, vaccine misinformation all over the place. With a special guest that I will announce at the end. Okay, so quantum dot tattoos hold vaccination record. This is from Mike Williams, December 18th, 2019. I could not find this before because they hid it from the internet, Rice University. But then all of a sudden I found it today, yesterday, um, after being like, aha, uh -huh, I had to go to the archive last time, so it's weird. But this is like a redo, like a redux, because we already talked about this before on the podcast. You know, just, I don't know how you would find that. So <laughs> I'll just go over it now. So quantum dot tattoos hold vaccination record. So this says Rice Bioengineer reveals dissolving micro needles that also embed fluorescent medical info. Keeping track of a child's shots sh could be so much easier with technology invented by a new Rice University professor and his colleagues. Kevin McHugh, an assistant professor of bioengineering at Rice since this summer and a team at his previous institution, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, which also has Jeffrey Epstein ties, which also Bill Gates has, Report in a cover story in Science Translational Magazine, Magazine, Medicine, I don't know what happened there, on their development of quantum dot tags that fluoresce with information after they're injected as part of a vaccination. It says here with a picture of the action, a pattern of 1.5 millimeter microneedles that contain vaccine and fluorescent quantum dots are applied as a patch. The needles dissolve under the skin, leaving the encapsulated quantum dots. Their pattern can be read to identify the vaccine that was administered. The project was co-led by Rice University bioengineer Kevin McHugh during his time at MIT. The tags are incorporated in only some of the array of sugar-based microneedles on a patch. When the needles dissolve in about two minutes, they deliver the vaccine and leave the pattern of tags just under the skin where they become something like a barcode tattoo. Instead of ink, this highly specific medical record consists of copper-based quantum dots embedded in biocompatible micron-scale capsules. Their near-infrared dye is invisible, but the pattern they set can be read and interpreted by a customized smartphone. The two-year project is aimed at the 1.5 million preventable deaths that result from a lack of vaccinations, primarily in developing nations. 
the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation came to us and said, hey, we have a real problem knowing who's vaccinated, said McHugh, who was recruited to join Rice with funding from the Cancer Prevention and Research Institute of Texas. They said, we go on vaccination campaigns where people get into Hummers, drive to a rural village, set up a tent, and start immunizing people, but they don't always know who's been immunized before and what vaccines are still needed. Parents often don't know their children's vaccination histories, he said. So our idea was to put the record on the person, he he said. This way, later on, people can scan over the area to see what vaccines have been administered and give only the ones still needed. There are two sides to this, he said. First is that you don't administer unnecessary vaccines, which has a cost. But even bigger, you don't leave people under-immunized and at risk of getting an infectious disease. He said the team worked with a bioethicist to be sure the patient's data remains protected. She said, we're on solid ethical ground as long as people can opt out, like getting the patch with only the vaccine. Also, the patch with quantum dots only contains information about the vaccine received. It doesn't tell you anything else about the person. The square centimeter patches hold up to 16 tiny needles. They don't go very deep, which makes them theoretically painless and a lot easier for kids, he says. They're like putting on a bandage. Because the 1.5 millimeter needles disintegrate in the skin, no biohazardous sharps remain for disposal, he said. Testing a model skin in strong light showed the 4 nanometer nanometer, whatever, dots should be readable for at least five years. He plans to continue his work on the technology at Rice. There are so many projects that, to this particular pro- project that I mean, sorry, there are so many aspects to this particular project that we need nanotechnologists, bacteriologists, chemists, and computer scientists, he said. So this is certainly something I'm thinking about my lab here, for my lab here. That's fucked up. So, like, that's just an example of, like, shit we don't make up, (laughs) shit we read, and thought, hmm, that's weird. Why did he give them this idea? (laughs) He's like, oh, no, I got you an idea right here. And then, oh yeah, okay, and then you give us funding? Sure, we'll do it. So these are things that we look at, and we're like, wait a minute. And then the Microsoft thing, the Microsoft patent that we've talked about in the past for the microchip thing, the cryptocurrency thing, cryptocurrency chip thing that you would put in your body. <sighs> like, it's fucking weird, dude. Their microchips exist. It's not a a conspiracy theory that exists. And he actually has funded things like that. Microneedles and shit. Like, come on. Uh, No, okay, the real question. uh, What what was different um, from your experience about misinformation in the past two years? I mean, you've been a target, obviously, of something like this before. Is it more of the same, or have the last two years had a a, a markedly different experience? No, the pandemic was completely unexpected i mean literally oh uh, yeah there's another lie completely unexpected hello event 201 put on by world economic forum johns hopkins university sorry johns hopkins you know center for health security sorry and bill melinda gates foundation october 18 2019 literally before that article came out two two months before just saying most days during the pandemics, 90% of the messages, millions of them, that had anything to do with me, were about how maybe vaccines were 
a plot, you know, this whole tracking no, thing. Never. And why do I want to track you? I don't know, you know. Uh, do I have time to track all these people? And, uh, I mean, I'm really interested. Yeah. You have time uh, and funding for all these things. Uh, and so, you know, in a way, it was so strange, it was almost funny. But then, you know, I'd go out in the street and people would yell at me. Oh, no. Did you get pied in the face again? And, you know, things Sad were written face. about, you know, these vaccines were actually to kill people instead of to save their lives. So Well, it's not like you've I'd ever had anything to say about population control. It fragmented society where uh, certain sources, if they told you to wear a mask, that was the last thing you were going to do. Or if they told you, you know, get the vaccine, particularly to protect, uh, reduce transmission to elderly people, uh, they didn't comply. And so. Mainly because that didn't happen, because that was a lie, which we'll go over. We'll go over the vaccine part next time. But since he mentioned masks again. Let's go to the next article, which is from The Hill. I thought I had it, but I don't. Oh, wait, no, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the latest information about masks and the CDC. This is from The Hill. We're going to go straight to the source afterwards because we just, we don't fuck with MSM. But anyway, The Hill says CDC no longer recommends universal masking in health facilities. This is from... A few days ago, 9-26-2022, 4.52pm, Nathaniel Bixel, Bixel, whatever the fuck his name is. Anyway, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, but the prevention is not in the uh, acronym. Don't know why, but anyway. No longer recommends universal masking. in healthcare settings uh, unless the facilities are in high areas of high COVID-19 transmission. Sorry for the pause. Uh, the agency qu- quietly issued the updates as part of an overhaul to its infection control guidance for health workers published late Friday afternoon. It marks a major departure from the agency's previous recommendation for universal masking. So then we'll go to the source, which is... CDC.gov, obviously, and it says at the top, when you go to this page, and again, I'll link it below, healthcare workers, infection control guidance, updated September 23rd, 2022. For healthcare personnel, see isolation and work restriction guidance, blah, 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 summary of recent changes and updates as of September 23rd, 2022, updated to Note that vaccination status is no longer used to inform source control, screening, testing, or post-exposure recommendations. Updated circumstances when use of source control is recommended. Updated circumstances when universal use of personal protective equipment should be considered. Updated recommendations for testing frequency to detect potential for variants with shorter incubation periods and to address the risk for false negative antigen tests in people without symptoms. Clarified that screening testing of asymptomatic healthcare personnel, including those in nursing homes, is at the discretion of the healthcare facility. 
Updated to note that, in general, asymptomatic patients no longer require empiric use of transmission-based precautions following close contact with someone with SARS-CoV-2 infection. Archive the interim infection prevention and control recommendations to prevent SARS-CoV-2 spread in nursing homes and special considerations for nursing homes not otherwise covered in sections 1 and 2 were added to section 3 setting specific considerations. Updated screening testing recommendations for nursing home admissions clarified the terms of the types of long-term care settings for whom the healthcare infection prevention and control recommendations apply. So then we go down to this part. What did they say? Hmm. Updates were made to reflect the high levels of vaccine and infection-induced immunity and the availability of effective treatments and prevention tools. Now the CDC says facilities in regions without high transmission can choose not to require all doctors, patients, and visitors to mask. Transmission is different from the community levels CDC uses to guide non-healthcare settings. Community transmission refers to measures of the presence and spread of SARS-CoV-2, CDC said. So I'm trying to find that on the page. I guess I have to download it more. This guidance provides a framework. Oh yeah, this is what they were saying. Uh, For facilities to implement select infection prevention and control practices, e.g. universal source control based on their individual circumstances, e.g. levels of community transmission. The guidance, it, this guidance is applicable to all U.S. settings where healthcare is delivered, including nursing homes and home health. This guidance is not intended for non-healthcare settings, e.g. restaurants, and not for people, not for persons outside of healthcare settings. CDC's main landing page for COVID-19 content will help readers navigate to information regarding modes of transmission, clinical management, laboratory settings, COVID-19 vaccines, and CDC guidance on other COVID-19 related topics. Then it says, recommended routine infection prevention and control practices during the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. Testing. Just testing, basically. Source control. Here we go. Dear. Okay. Refers to use of respirators or well-fitting face masks or cloth masks to cover a person's mouth and nose to prevent spread of respiratory secretions when they are breathing, talking, sneezing, or coughing. Further information about types of masks and respirators, including those that meet standards and the degree of protection offered to the wearer is available at masks and respirators, cdc.gov. People, particularly those at high risk for severe illness, should wear the most protective form of source control they can that fits well and that they will wear consistently. Healthcare facilities may choose to offer well-fitting face masks as a source control option for visitors, but should allow the use of a mask or respirator with higher level protection that is not visibly soiled by people who chose that option based on their individual preference. 
Source control options for HCP include a NIOSH approved particulate respirator with N95 filters or higher, a respirator approved under standards used in under in over in other countries that are similar to NIOSH approved N95 filtering face piece respirators. These should not be used instead of an NIOSH approved respirator when respiratory protection is indicated. A barrier face covering that meets HSTM F35021 requirements including workplace performance and workplace performance plus masks or a well-fitting face mask. When used solely for source control, any of the options listed above could be used for an entire shift unless they become soiled, damaged, or hard to breathe through. If they are used during the care of patient or which a for which a face mask is indicated for personal protective equipment. Face mask during, okay, infection, what does it say? Damn it. Approved particulate respirators with M95 filters or higher during the case of care of a patient with SARS-CoV-2 infection, face mask during a surgical procedure or during a care of a patient on droplet precautions, they should be removed and discarded after the patient care encounter and a new one should be donned. When SARS-CoV-2 tr community transmission levels are high, source control is recommended for everyone in a healthcare setting when they are in areas of the healthcare facility where they could encounter patients. Then it says when SARS-CoV-2 community transmission levels are not high, healthcare facilities could choose not to require universal source control. However, even if source control is not universally required, it remains recommended for individuals in healthcare settings who have suspected or confirmed SARS-CoV-2 infection or other respiratory infection, or had close contact or a higher risk exposure with someone with SARS-CoV-2 infection for 12, 10 days after their exposure, or reside or work on a unit of, or area of the facility experiencing a SARS-CoV-2 outbreak, universal use of Source control could be discontinued as a mitigation measure once no new cases have been identified for 14 days or have otherwise had source control recommended by public health authorities. Individuals might also choose to continue using source control based on personal preference informed by their perceived level of risk for infection based on their recent activities, attending crowded indoor gatherings with poor ventilation, and their potential for developing severe disease. For example, if an individual or someone in their household is at increased risk for severe disease, they should consider wearing masks or respirators that provide more protection because of better filtration and fit to reduce exposure and infection risk, even if source control is not otherwise required by the facility. So there you go. Basically, that's what happened there. Community transmission. So, that's that. Um, wrapping it up, uh, part one, this is part one, part two is next time, next month, um, before the end of next month, hopefully. We stopped at 153 of the video, so we have quite a bit to go for that, because um, it ends at like 206 for that segment. And then we'll go into the vaccination and everything. Wanted to end though, with, uh, what else do I want to say? Oh yeah, mask update. So in LA specifically, where I live, 
we now don't have to wear masks. I mean, we weren't anyway, but <laughs> on the bus <laughs> and at the airport, they've stopped enforcing it, stopped even having it as a rule. It's not a thing anymore. The masking is not really a thing anymore. Certain people are doing it. You know, go ahead, but I won't. And so that's where we're at here. So it looks like a lot of people are kind of waking up to the mask con that happened. And I hope that others will follow suit. It's been a great show. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Uh, announcement. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, the next episode again, towards the end of this month, uh, hopefully not exactly a month from now, um, will be my birthday, pretty much, well, celebration of my birthday, sort of, but I'm very pleased to announce that I have an actual guest, which is very fun, I love having those from time to time, and it's gonna be, drum roll please, I don't have drums, I don't know, <laughs> Angela McArdle, libertarian virtuoso, um, co-chair, is she a co-chair or chair? Let me see what her bio is. I'm very, very informed. Angela, I've known her for, I've known her before. <laughs> she is a chair, uh, LA chair, she was an LA chair. Um, but she is amazing, and I've known her before through a friend, and I had a lot of fun with her in the past, in real life, and she cooked some great vegan food at the time, and it'll be great to have her on and talk to her again. I'm very much looking forward to it, and I'm sure she has a lot to say about the freedom aspect of all of this mandates and stuff, the vaccine mandates specifically and what's happening there. So she has a website. It's AngelaMcArdle.com if you want to learn more about her before her appearance. I'm very excited to have her on and thank you so much for listening. It wasn't supposed to be this long. That's what she said. You know what? We are inclusive on this broadcast. So <laughs> I'm going to wait until 1.34 because that's always fun. <laughs> I hate even. I hate even. I hate odd numbers. I mean, I don't like odd numbers, which is funny because I was born on an odd number, 27, so that's kind of ironic. But I like 27. I don't know what to say. It's one of my favorite words. Words? <laughs> one of my favorite uh, numbers. That's a thing. That's what it is. Anyway, love you guys. See you in the next one. Part two coming up next month. Love you guys. Bye.